Honestly, I do not care if I don't do anything in this life apart from not give anyone a bad day. Why would I add to everyone's crap? Like, it's not that hard. Like, just do better. I just think to myself, just do better. I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode. You'll meet the most extraordinary young woman whose story and message will blow you away. Welcome to Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, VAC, working together, and Vive Healthcare, Positive Action Community Grants. Follow on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook. Imagine arriving in a new country at 21 years of age, no friends, little family, dealing with a mental health condition, and then being told you're HIV positive. On this episode, my guest found herself in that position over eight years ago. Today, she is the youngest woman ever to be on the board of directors for Living Positive Victoria and recently was appointed the Health Promotions and Communications Coordinator for Positive Women. She is without doubt one of the new breed, an inspirational voice in the HIV space. Softly spoken, smart and gentle to the core, she is elegant, polite and proper. A beautiful English rose whose softness is the foundation of her resilience and determination. Don't be fooled. She is no pushover. I sat down to discover more about the most amazing Christabel Miller. Let's start how you came to Australia. Why are you in, oh, in Australia, Christopher? That Miller? far back. Okay. Um, so I'm in Australia because um, I do have some family over here, but in Queensland. But they uh, sort of emigrated a long time ago, sort of 30 years ago. And um, one of my parents actually was quite ill, and uh, they wanted to come to Australia to join the rest of their family. So they did. And I sort of found myself living in London on my own at about 19, which I was very confident and sure about. And then <laughs> you've had sure. the world at your feet. Yeah. London, nineteen. Yeah, Parents have disappeared. I Yay! Know. I know. And then, which was was so much fun. But I came <laughs> to visit my my mother um, in Melbourne because she'd fallen in love with a Melbourneian. And I came to visit her during like you know January, February, the beautiful Melbourne months. And I was working in London, you know, up and up at, when it's dark, home when it's miserable, dark. Miserable, cold, mm-hmm. grey London. But I was still like, oh. No, 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 I'm a Londoner. See you later. And then when I went back home about two weeks later, I called my mum and was like, um, <laughs> hi, uh, maybe I might come join you. And then we just decided to do a big, proper sort of emigration and we properly left London. So I do, of course, have family back there, but um, yeah, I'd properly left for good, as it were, and just got on a plane when I was 20. And how did that feel? Um, <laughs> it was quite... It was terrifying. I, I actually cried and cried. I probably shouldn't admit that. But I think I left because I was just nervous about um, being so far away from a parent who might get ill again, not because I ever really wanted to leave London. So I did struggle quite a lot when I first got here. And and just means, you know, ho- home is now forever in two places, which is yeah, lovely, right. but bizarre. Yeah. So, yeah, it was weird. So is Melbourne home? Like, do you get a sense of that or, or, or not? Uh, it's taken a really long time, an embarrassingly long <laughs> amount of time, because um, it just is so different. I mean, I think it took me about a year when people would ask me, you know, what 
uh, what what are the differences like how do you find blah 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 and I tried to answer and it wasn't until about a year later that I really realized like n- no everything is different I know that we are both you know predominantly in theory white countries and English speaking but the cultures are so different and there are still times I'll make a joke and no one laughs I'm like oh there it is <laughs> that's <laughs> um, right I'm yeah. helping <laughs> <laughs> I know but um no in the last I think in the last like year or so getting closer to friends I think that's the real change and actually probably becoming a bit closer to people in the HIV community that's actually probably made a huge change to go from just um seeing people at you know sort of events to actually having time as like friends and like stronger friendships I think that's kind of bridged that final gap that means I'd be really much more nervous to to try and live without them than I had done previously yeah. And so that's taken how many years to settle um, in? It's my eighth year. Wow. <laughs> okay. I know. So I've been a bit, been a bit difficult, haven't I? Well, but, um, something yeah. sort of says that maybe we've we've been a bit difficult. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, or um, look, I didn't think I would be dragging Aussies so early on in our conversation. <laughs> um, but no, no, not at all. It is really just look. The reality is. Uh, I was also diagnosed about a year after I moved here. So I became... At age 21. 21, yeah. Yeah, right. I think just before I turned 22. So, I mean, as much as I can't imagine what life would be like otherwise, it would probably be very stupid to imply that that didn't have a huge isolating impact because I probably should have gone home. Just, you know, to be with people that you that know you better. But of course, I did that whole thing in a place where some people knew me like six months. My best friend at that time would have known me for about six months. Right. So, you know, that to imagine to try to imagine that that wasn't a huge part of it would probably be very silly. So it's not all the Aussies' fault, just a little bit. Sure, <laughs> but, um, and it explains why uh, a chunk of that eight years of settling in has been pretty shitty for you. Yeah, it, yeah. It has. I mean, it's just been, it's been so up and down. It's such a strange feeling to um, try. I mean, your twenties are weird enough as it is. Hell yeah. I know. And then, I mean, and then HIV in your twenties is just like pretty. It's pretty rude, isn't it? Being a heterosexual then, woman, uh, <laughs> yes, and, that's and a good point. Uh, well, <laughs> in, you know, Australia, in Australia, yeah. uh, in your early twenties, yeah. that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of bullshit. Thanks that yeah it was in that like I mean thanks in that that's thank you for the word because you can often you know try to sort of minimize or, or you just think nah, oh bullshit. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just bullshit yeah so um and as I'm sure you know and like I you know I lived without telling anyone really for about four years because of that not even my you know my best friend and and all of that stuff so yeah it was bizarre because I totally believed that I was the only one as it were in that I would often you know be standing in a room or on the train or like at a supermarket and think I'm probably the only HIV positive person in here I now know of course that's in you know Melbourne that is unlikely to be the case as often as I may think but yeah being female I mean there really just felt as if there was no one to go to and there wasn't really uh in a straightforward way in that newly diagnosed nervous anxious you know eight about seven or so years ago now it's i think it's different hopefully yeah um, but uh like you know we've spoken to uh marianne on this this Mm. show where um you know 
going back more than 25 years ago and the experience oh. sounds almost the same. Yeah. Like there was nothing. Yeah. Nowhere to go. Yeah. No support network. No uh, framework to catch you yeah. in that moment of vulnerability. Yeah. I think, you know, you would you would be totally right there and it's it's weird because it's kind of reassuring to hear that in one way and then also if I you know if I really let myself think about that it's it's devastating Mm. because Mm. you have to be so lucky therefore to not have some serious damage occur to you you know I think I've I've got I was I've you know through whatever reason perhaps I just caught it at the right time but you know if you go through much more than a couple of years in that initial stage trying to sort of figure it out on your own you know you're going to go through something that you're not necessarily going to be able to come back from and that's the saddest that's the to me one of the saddest things about HIV because um oh my god with like the, the science the people that are really out there everything that's going on you know those of us that like think about it morning noon and night we know that that really should like just never have to happen but you know it's ridiculous it is oh my god could go on forever about how ridiculous that it is that it can still happen and does still happen. oh my god yeah well yes like and it's probably more likely still to happen than not to happen do you know what i mean like and and even yeah. happens to gay men yes. even with all of the support networks yeah. and frameworks in place yeah that well that's that that's very hard to think about yeah, <laughs> really, yeah, yeah. to be honest yeah, in that yeah. like that's that kind of stuff that kind of stops you in your tracks a little bit but you know I, I i dread to think what that would be like uh if you're still sort of part of a community and you still manage to like fall by the wayside um at least you know i got a sense of of suddenly joining a big community but i really should say that in the beginning that was i would say 99 percent gay men that made me feel that i wasn't anything different so tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that is something I feel that's probably good because I don't like get to talk to people about that that much because I've got to sort of be like you know a, a women's advocate, which is you know a privilege, my God, to do. But um, I think again, I feel like I also got lucky because at the time I was diagnosed, I didn't, I didn't have, or I've made a huge effort not to take on the baggage of what has come before and how I can understand. Where you mean the women's baggage or the the, um, the gay HIV baggage? Um, just the, I think the whole... Because there is both. Yeah, oh God. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, oh my God, I'm not about to sit here and try to imply otherwise. Um, I just think the, the the baggage of having to fight to get something that um, applies to you, that yeah. both women and gay men have had to do in, in such different ways and mm. had to come at it so weirdly, you know. Um, so I think I just mean that I feel lucky that I haven't had to, you know, that I didn't have to be didn't have to take that on sorry um in order to join in and because of that i didn't feel that i was stepping into a gay male space i really didn't and i don't know if that's just like a fortune of my dna or like you know the way i was built that i did i just couldn't even tell you one time i have felt excluded Mm -hmm. this is what i do try to remind the women that i talk to that there isn't I personally believe, and I'm sure I will be proved otherwise, but I will fight a lot before I am proved otherwise um, about thinking that people are coming from a bad place or an agenda or any malice around including or excluding each other because there are times where some people do need to be excluded. So I'm not trying to be, you know, we're all la-la-la because it's not always like that. But, um, yeah, I really really do try to to remind people of, of that, that 
you know, like there's not necessarily a need all the time where possible. My gosh, you know, to to separate yourselves. And I definitely have never been made to feel that way by the men that I've met. Like I bloody adore them, actually. (laughs) You know, I have to in my, uh, you know, daily life, as it were, and all of that, I have to like rage against it you know nine to five as it were to just try to get that voice or that opening for anyone that isn't uh a white gay cis man you know not just women in the hiv space yeah in the hiv space my gosh um but yeah so but yeah deep down it's it's not my personal sort of feeling at all just kind of weird take me back to that 21 year old Oh yeah, um, and your <clears throat> diagnosis. How did <clears throat> that come about? Because uh, ah, it's not the it's not on the standard suite of tests uh, for <laughs> for a twenty one year no, old woman. It's well, no, and actually, <laughs> lately, really, I have the more I hear is women that actually ask for a test and get told no, which is yeah, right. which is great, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> oh, you won't need that. No, no. Oh, you're not you're not at risk, yeah. sweetie. Yeah. Just you you shush. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, so I I had quite a funny way of coming to it that I actually. Since you mentioned um, how I came to be in Australia, um, and I talked a bit about finding it difficult, I somehow accidentally managed to get an eating disorder when I moved here. And I can't believe that I did, because I'd seen friends go through it, and it really, I think, just was, you know, a distraction. And I was actually very, very anorexic. Um, And I think I came into contact with HIV around the same time that that got out of hand. And um, so... Yeah. There's. I don't want to make in any way light of it, it's but there okay. is there there is there it. is um, a school of thought that suggests mm. there's an attention seeking side of it. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's don't a school worry. of thought that, that it is. And, well, regardless, it's a, a mental health issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, was the new uh, country, the new mm-hmm. all of that, mm-hmm. um, and finding your feet part of that mm-hmm. or? Yeah, no, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Do yeah. not worry about that. And I think, um, for me, I think, like, it. I have to admit, it really was something that was actually kind of a relief that it just sort of took over my all my time, all my thoughts. And so I wasn't thinking about the fact that I was a million miles away from anyone I'd ever cared about, anyone I'd ever, you know, loved, in, in all senses of that word. And I actually... Am, you know, wasn't, uh, I was living with people I didn't know, like, you know, I'd started um, my uh, art degree. So, you know, I was just like, nothing made much sense. And so I think it was actually, it sort of came about because it was uh, the easiest thing to spend my time thinking about. It was much easier than to try and get my head around this decision that I probably wish I hadn't hadn't made at the time. And, um, yeah, it wasn't, I I mean, I think I've been really fortunate around, uh, mental health. I have a lot of um, mental health um, issues in my family, so it's not. You know, I, I say sometimes HIV is not my first rodeo, and it's definitely not. You know, I had some big things in my childhood that meant I was kind of got my antennae up about falling into those things. But then, you know, I still fell into anorexia and I had friends who'd been through it, yes. which was you know Best might have been friends. enough to you. Yeah. You know, not go there. Yeah, and at yeah, the time yeah. I was the probably righteous little yeah, right. idiot and was like, I would never do that. You know, the same way we all say, I, I will so never stupid. smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I will never smoke. And I was like, you know, I can't believe they're doing this. It's so it's so ridiculous. Blah blah blah. Snap out of it. And there, there I was. Like, so yeah, I think it. I you know, I haven't. I don't. 
I don't think about anorexia a lot because it was very quickly, once I came to realise I was anorexic, I was then diagnosed with HIV. And so anorexia got no attention. Right. So I basically... See, even on that basis, Mm. from a mental health perspective, it's Mm. fascinating because Mm. (laughs) all of a sudden the priority was very different. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, my gosh. and, And like... That was Suddenly like, that thing that was your crutch is like thrown out the window. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually don't think I've ever really sought, you know, proper like treatment or whatever for it. But Well, you had a cure. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know. Pretty shitty cure. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so I, I think I, I haven't like spent much time really like delving into it mm. because, yeah, like I said, you know, once the medical profession meets you and realises or, you know, re- yeah, realises you've got. HIV, I don't care about anorexia. What did they say to you? Because like, you must yeah. have got a bit of a lecture about your health and well-being and looking after yourself and all of that. I don't know if I did, actually, because I... Um, so, basically, the first thing I thought I should do, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I'm anorexic. The first thing I should do, I'll get a sexual health test because I had been enjoying my 21-year-old self in a brand-new country. Yeah, right. And I was like... And to be honest, I cannot say that I didn't know about HIV. I bloody well did. I know what happens if you don't wear a condom. But you were a 21-year-old woman. Yeah, well, yeah but, but I just did it anyway, you know? And so I have to admit, a little part of me was like, oh, my God, what if I've got the big one? And, you know... See, that's something that, for me, I would mm, never think a woman would consider. Oh, my God. Oh, I, t- I pictured it happening. I don't know why, though. I mean, because if I hadn't become positive, I would never have thought, you know, carried that thought on. But, you know, it was actually positive. But, yeah, I did totally think, oh, my God, I bet it's me. I don't know why I thought that. And it wasn't at all self-destructive. I don't mean I was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get it. So but it was well. on your list, yes. whereas it, um, for most 21-year-old yeah. women, it would not even be anywhere near their yeah. list. Yeah, I mean, I just think, like I said, you know, I know that life is absolutely not straightforward and so yeah. I therefore didn't really discount it I can't necessarily say I was like super sexually educated as it were in terms of like oh yes I know that that one's out there but yeah it just was on my mind and I just thought like, were you a clubber or a partier oh, or a bit of everything bit of all that. I know come across so like yeah know, totally um, <laughs> what's the word sweetness you know, sweetness and light yeah and everything but oh my gosh no I, you know I grew up in London until yeah, I was totally. 21 I you it. can get away with anything you know you have so much freedom um, because you can get around because it's London yeah you know I will miss that side that part of life forever but um yeah so I well because I had uh, been anorexic and then probably come into, into contact with HIV at the same time, I was very, very ill by the time I turned yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of didn't realise how ill I was. I think I actually got a bit of that treatment, which I get a lot because I, I look young or I sound whatever, that they don't bloody... I don't know if it's a thing that happens to men, as we're talking about differences between men and women, that they don't really tell you the whole story of your own health. Tell me about that. So, like... It's happened to me a couple of times where they don't necessarily tell you how unwell you are or at what uh, risk you're at, but they might tell someone around you because, so perhaps like the person that you've come in with, and we know that that person's not always a safe person just because they happen to be in the doctor's office with you. Um, so yeah, they, I, I um, had a CD4 count, I think about under 80 when I went in, and a viral load of like, I don't know, in the millions. Yeah, right. So that is really, you know, an AIDS space. I yeah, must have been. Yeah. Everything was stopping working. I thought it was about anorexia. But to be fair, your mm. immune system was shot because yeah. of your anorexia. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I, it happened all very quickly yeah, right, is what yeah. I meant. So yeah. obviously it exacerbated that. So, yeah, so I didn't, you know, I didn't realise that until years later when I learned about when mm. they start treatment, what you're, what they use CD4 to mean. I didn't know that I had obviously now know that I presented 
in a hospital. In a very someone, bad way. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea. And it took me a couple of years to be like, oh, my God, I did all these things while technically, you know, in this horrendous mm. s- state. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that... In the danger zone. I know. Yeah. I, know I traveled. I went back to London. Oh, no. I know. I went back to London. Literally, I, it's when it's because I went back to London and I saw all my friends and they were like, oh, what have you done to yourself? Yeah, right. So I was about 45 kilos. And Whoa. Yeah. I know. Whoa. I know. What I, oh, my God. Like, when you just think back about, like, how did I get Hi, myself that's there? Like, that's like... More than danger zone. That's, yeah, it was that's really fucked. Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, it was. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, I just, I feel like in a weird way, I, you know, I, I haven't, I don't know, maybe I just realized that was kind of nice of the medical profession that I hadn't really taken yeah. that on board because yeah. I never sat in that moment. I just was like, oh, this isn't good. Must get on. So you know? that must get on, right? Yes. I get a lot of that from you. And oh. yet the sweetness okay. and nice, sugar wouldn't melt in mouth uh, type. Yes. Sugar and spice thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what my metaphor is there. Uh, butter wouldn't melt. That's it, yeah. Yep. Um, it and Pandora's but... box or something. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> um, yeah. There, there's a fighter in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I right? <laughs> well, oh, I mean, of course. But of you course. do it with a smile and a sweetie pie voice. <laughs> I don't know. So I mean, where does that come from? Oh, goodness me. Um... You know, forgive all my like sh- shyness. I I think it is I don't know my upbringing or you know I really properly come from a family that is like you never say how you you feel. Yeah, you don't. that's very English. Oh my god! <laughs> you know my my own bloody mother is like you will never know what I'm really thinking. Yeah. And I'm like cheers, mum. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's really helpful. Have you had to learn to get get over that? Uh, or are you still in myself? Yeah. Or, oh god. Yes, because I'm not saying what you're really thinking to me is a certain kind of personal violence to yourself. Yeah, it is. I think yeah. it's quite. Yeah. It's not always the best thing to do at all. And you can say what you. Th- I think, sort of around a bit what you're getting at. You know, I feel just like I can. You can say what you mean and not be a twat about it. Mm. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be cruel and still say what you want. Yeah, it's harder. It's going to take a bit longer. You have but to the only a bit person more. that's challenging is yourself. Yes, exactly. So. Um, I don't know, question around a fighter. I think I have actually been thinking about it a bit lately, especially as I've like stepped into working in the HIV sector because I think I you know, a lot of people have verbalized to me that they're, you know, sort of don't understand why I'm so not don't understand why I'm so liked, but I think I can see that they can't understand why they can't marry the two images of why a, you fit it in so easily. Yeah, like right, why right. I'm. They can't marry the two of like. But and you why you even so, choose to be there? Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly that. Right. You know, and why? How can I be like sweet? You know, mm. quote, mar- uh, quote marks, and yet not have been like worn down or walked everything. over. Yeah, or, yeah, yes, yeah, right. Exactly. So I have been. So I've about never it. seen you as a walkover oh, or nice. a pushover. Are you, know? you sure? Yeah, Good. Yeah. Yes. Because I know. I mean, look. I don't really mind if people think I am or not because it, it doesn't really make a difference to the the truth of things. But I, I, it does make me much more shy when I or less confident in myself when I know people think that of me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Talking about a fighter, I just think that. The, the true, the whole true answer to that probably is that I came from a really abusive family, and I realised very young that honestly I do not care if I don't do anything in this life apart from not give anyone a bad day. Like I just, why would I add to everyone's crap? Like goodness wow. me, like it's not, it's not that hard. Like just do better. 
I just think to myself, just do better. Like, and I and that may sound very like uh, you know like how sort of rose tinted spectacles of me, but like it matters to me, and I just keep trying to to do that. And I think mi- that mixed with being English probably has helped because you know I apologise for it. like everything that I do. Apologise to like the door if I bump into it or something. So I I wonder if that might seem. Why it sort of seems quite a strong part of who I am, but yeah, I, I just I don't think that being soft has any bearing on being a, a fighter, and I think that my no, but resilience mm-hmm. does, and resilience oh, yeah. is is about letting things yeah. go through you rather than impact you. Yeah, that's true. So, how do you? How has that uh, mm. come about? Because a lot has come your way yeah. <laughs> and, you know, knocked you off your socks, but you're still yes. standing tall. Well, well, that's very kind of you. I think you're, it's really good because you're really getting me to, like, think about my, you know, personal philosophies. So you're, like, what, getting to the about, heart honey? of things. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but I just will forever be surprised how well you do it. Um, so I think that, um, that probably the best way to say that about resilience, like not getting knocked knocked over or you know um, keeping on uh, moving through life with those things still attached is that I think I I mentioned softness and I think that that's really like my point of of bravery that I think going through all of all of everything that we can all go through and still being soft is actually my radical part that's that's your your strength yes how bizarre. Yeah. And I've never thought of it like that. But, yeah. but what deadens an impact greater than softness? Yes. yes. Wow. So, well, I, like, I don't I quite that. know how I, how I came to that. I, you know, it's, it's something that was a little bit like bigger than me or, you know, I wasn't aware of it. It didn't make a total absolute choice. But I've just realised, and especially becoming positive, because those sort of decisions are like, you know, glaring in the face when you need you know that you're either going to choose a and go down one path or b and go down another and when you have things as final as hiv in your life you can make some very final choices without some pretty fucked up choices oh my god many of us have oh my god yeah and i still make them too i just might make them a bit more quietly than (laughs) some other people you know but um yeah i definitely think in answer to resilience that is one thing i do know of myself that um i kind of believe in something it's, it's kind of a you know internet slang of like radical softness mm-hmm. and that really what it is is that i am kind of like you know no matter what comes at me actually the way for me to to get through it is to still have that part intact not lose it because i perceive losing losing it sorry losing that ability to be soft with yourself and with other people is the beginning of the end in my eyes then yeah. i don't know how you carry on for many of us the natural thing to do is to toughen up Mm-hmm. I know. And in fact, often resilience is sold to us as being something about mm. toughening up. Mm. You've got a totally different approach I know. to it. I haven't really thought of that before. That's true. Um, I think. Well, I think it's really confusing for people because I think that, as like I can tell, sort of you know, by the way you've just said that, that like being resilience and toughness doesn't necessarily help you achieve what you're trying to achieve, does sure, it? And sure. and can make you, you know, I think it's crap that people might have to tell themselves I'm not supposed to feel anything about this I'm not supposed to get upset this is somehow supposed to just wash over me like rubbish isn't it I think as a gay man the reason we are 
used to the toughening up thing is mm. because that's how we've learned yeah. to deal with that's the men. homophobia and it, the masculine thing yeah. and all of that, right? And <clears throat> yeah. getting through life is about toughening up being bitchy, toughening up being mm. uh, uh, shy and quiet, toughening up being mm. flamboyant, tough, mm. you know, whatever it is, push through mm. in a kind of manner that mm. is about um, toughening up. Mm. It must be a nightmare. Like it's exhausting. Yes, <laughs> I like. I can only imagine. Like you know, as much as we know how different people identify with all different types of things, let alone different types of personalities. And literally, by the fact that you were born male, you have to perpetuate something that is actually the most rigid thing on the face of the earth. I think you know that concept of like pure masculinity that is just like you know um, have a beer have a like I don't know give yourself a scratch and like you know just get on with it and like you know not you know really like is I actually think it's really offensive to men that trope well the cost of it is uh being the cost of it is intimacy that lack of vulnerability means that intimacy intimacy becomes very difficult yeah being 21 and dealing with your diagnosis Mm. um in a new country uh, Mm. must have meant a lot of tears (laughs) Mm. um you know i don't don't you don't recall it as that well god i don't know i i think my the biggest thing for me was like i was and still can be so frightened like tears tears i i think i'd actually really welcome more tears because i think that that's a really lovely like natural way to move purge and, yes yeah, yeah. oh my god the best word for it um and i mean of course i must have cried but i think also i knew how f- frightened you know not many people around me knew so i really had to keep it quiet and then the that's people be th- tough. Yeah, well i mean that's that weird thing that you look back on and you think how how did but I actually do that? You learn those skills. It's like hiding your sexuality. Yeah, you, know? you, you learn those skills. And maybe just to be cheeky, take it all the way back to earlier on in our conversation. I think that's why I feel such a kinship. Yeah, right. Because I don't. I it, it's if anything, I feel like. Oh, would you let me have a piece of, of what it might be like to come out? You know, can I talk to you about that kind of thing? Because I feel like it's it's so. You know, I don't want to say similar in case people feel otherwise, but. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's, okay. it's and becoming positive as a gay man. It means coming out again. The only thing is, we've had that distinction already in our lives. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, for me at least, I mm. can't speak for everyone, but mm. for me at, at least, as I started the process, I realised, mm. hang on, I've already done this. Yeah. I know how this works. <laughs> I got you know, this. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it took a while to get there. What must be bl- like bloody annoying though, like two in in two lots. You know, like that you might ever have to be like, I'm gay. And I'm positive, or you know that kind of. Um, well, annoying not, maybe, but maybe not. There, there's almost not. a societal expectation that because you're gay, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a natural thing. Yeah, uh, well, your you probs know. are. Yeah, probably. Uh, well, we knew it had happened. Yeah, oh, you know, it's that. just a matter of time. And, and, <laughs> and you, you, that, Sorry, that doesn't sit with a heterosexual woman. No, 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 <laughs> it doesn't. That is very true. But I, you know, I, I. I much prefer to see the likenesses and think about the differences when they really like turn up on your doorstep when things actually happen to me or that you know really remind me that it's different but I I prefer more to think of it you know just like my god yeah it's like coming out again and again and you have to have this moment where you're like will 
will they accept me? Won't they accept me? I mean, it's bizarre. What, what sort of um, stigma and discrimination have you experienced Ooh. personally? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Um, look, I think, I think I've been very lucky because I still, to be quite honest with you, I still live in quite a large amount of secrecy in that I have been really fortunate that um, things I've done, even working in the sector, it does, as we know, you know, the HIV community is so, as a woman, so small, that it doesn't get out into, you know. It's a real bubble. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it doesn't come out into mainstream social media, really, which is. But you've been on uh, uh, big radio mm. stations as well mm. as smaller ones uh, mm. to talk about your situation. Mm. Um, how much more out do you want to be? I know. <laughs> well, I mean, so, well, yes, I'm not trying to not be out. I'm very much kind of trying to keep that last moment where I get to be the one to tell someone. Yeah, right. But at the same time, I'm aware that there is going to be a tipping point where it's going to get bigger than that and, and I, will, I shall see then. You know, I can't bear I realise I can't really bear to try to control it so much because I have done, and it was just you know it was it was just so destructive. It was mm. more than destructive. I want to say soul destroying. Then I thought that sounded like you know a bit. It's self destructive. But though. it is. It, it is. is. And it it is. Eats you up. It's and so yeah. painful mm. and frightening. That's why I say the word frightening. Um, but so, in terms of stigma, I I've been lucky because the people that I've told. I really think I've had a really good idea. I haven't told anyone that I'm Chosen not too sure people, about. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. and also, but I mean, I think I guess I had a I've had a hell of a lot of self stigma that I didn't tell certain people for like years. And when I told them, they were like, "You, you idiot, that you didn't tell me." So that space, um, without you know having to go through that space, so you don't have those people. But I think the stigma that I've got has really been from the medical profession. Right. Yeah, that that would be my biggest sort of stigma, and um, a bit of uh, a bit of family stigma. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a bit loath to talk about it because I do not want to offend anyone. Sure. But I, I, there were certain family members that didn't want to kiss me on the lips anymore. You know, uh, separate towels arrived, hand sanitizer arrived everywhere. Wow. That kind of thing, and I, look, I. I don't, I don't think about those things every day, and I there is no point in keep holding on to them. But when I say that to you, you know, I cannot lie that there is like a real pinch in my heart to have had to ha- just mm. to have to have had to have to learn that is, you know, just don't wish that on anyone. Which is, <clears throat> I shan't be offended. It's kind of weird mm. that. We haven't had a national campaign mm-hmm. around putting the nation into the safe space mm-hmm. that we're in with HIV. Mm-hmm. In other words, an education on a national basis yes. to all Australians yeah. that HIV is still here, mm-hmm. but we are not infectious if we're I on treatment know. and oh. what that means. And that if you are at risk, there are other ways to protect yourself than what we've known for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And by now you'll be fully aware of the Grim mm-hmm. Reaper campaign and all that yeah. stuff and what happened there. Why don't we have a national campaign to undo I know. What that has done? Dean, trust me, you're preaching to the converted, to the choir. Like, I, I don't know. that I, I personally believe, whether it's people want to say it's naive or not, that the key 
you know, maybe not the key, but I do not see how we can end or really make a dent in stigma unless someone, anyone, comes out on a huge platform to say that. And sorry, I don't mean come out and necessarily reveal their status. That really depends on the, the person and if whatever that seems like the right to try and do both at the same time. But I mean, put, you know, step out on a public platform, a national platform to talk about you know those few key concepts that we know about till we are blue in the face about undetectable about um you know what a viral load really means and what is really happening to a positive person once they're diagnosed in that really as far as the medical profession is concerned if your medicine is looking after you you know you are not someone that they need to see all the time you are not you know an ill person or a patient or anything like that I, I do sort of believe I, I kind of don't know how it can happen without it and I sort of think it's that crappy thing where we like we need like a negative person to say it in the same way throughout history you know you need a bloody straight person to say no 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 don't worry this gay person's fine and those few people are like oh okay okay maybe gay people are all right and it begins to open the door or you know you need a white person to say no 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 this person of color that, and that's all well and good, but um, it won't happen without no. the full support of government and the sector. Well. And there is vested interest, dare I say it, mm. in the sector maintaining mm. the status quo. Well, th- yeah, this is this is something I I look. I nearly put my like you know uh, risk averse hat on just then and was like, mm-hmm. but no, like this is something that I absolutely cannot believe is is real. You know, I. I cannot understand why positive people might find themselves uh, trapped in that cycle of thought. I do honestly believe, like, you know, I am... So many do. I I cannot, I I will never, I will never... um, I'm constantly coming across positive people, men on treatment, who don't know what the benefits of that are delivering to them and their partners. What? Yeah. Like, um, like... They don't know what it means to be undetectable. They don't realise that undetectable means that they cannot pass it on. Yes. I I um, have heard this and I have also very recently... I told it to a friend women, who yeah. was in, an, in a, a serious discordant relationship and he burst uh, into tears. <gasps> oh, 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 my... And he's been living with HIV for five years. Okay. I don't know how that happens. How does that, how how does does that, that happen? happen? I mean, I know it in... I, I have had recently had women say that and I was in a kind of huge group of positive women and it, the same thing a female in a serodiscordant relationship that didn't know that her medicine meant but I sort of thought oh it's that that um you know perfect storm of a of a woman that's not necessarily wanting to address her HIV totally so she gets the meds and then maybe her doctor doesn't really know what to do with her especially if it's a GP and they don't even know so there you go I do not imagine uh, any relationships that are sort of, you know, like Melbourne-centric or a gay male relationship. Oh, my, like, I think, oh, my God. Well, this is where we have to realise when you're in the sector, you can also be in a bubble where you think everyone knows. That's why there's don't. people outside the bubble that like to prick the little yeah. pricks. <laughs> well, you must. Um, you now. must always. <laughs> you must always. And, you know, we've just established that I just try to do it softly from the inside <laughs> of the bubble. But you must, al- you know, you must always, ne- you know, wh- why else are we here? Why did you decide to go on the board of Living mm. Positive Victoria? Because as a young woman, that's a big ask, firstly, <laughs> and <laughs> a daunting prospect, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, it still is yeah. a bloody daunting prospect, to be honest, because it 
you know, it's very grown up and very serious. Mm. Um, uh, I feel like, you know, the the most human answer to that is that I, I know that, you know, when you become positive, I think, especially if you don't, like, like me, I didn't know anyone else, the only imaginations I could have were, you know, severely damaged, ill-looking people. And when you don't meet anyone else or you do end up, which I did as well, in support groups where some people are very ill, some people are not all right, and you think, you know, you, you're you the one that needs to access a social worker, you're the one that needs all this type of support. When I met Living Positive Victoria, as it were, and met everyone, to suddenly meet this hugely engaging, dynamic, like, m- you know, moving and shaking, as it were, group of people that were all so positive, it, like... I don't really know how to quite verbalise, like, how excited and, like... I mean, not even excited, I was just like, oh, my God, thank God. Like, I don't have to... I, I might not have to be a person that's always on the receiving end of of services, of, of things, you know, a, a patient, that, that word, a patient. And I thought, oh, my God, I could be... I, like, I couldn't believe it that even sitting here talking to you, there is still that part of me that's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I'm getting to do something, you know, out of the ordinary to me. I mean, look, it, it, I will forever be pissed off this because it's it, because I've got HIV. But oh well, you know. And I think I, I thought the same around um, getting to be around those people more often. Really was like, oh my gosh, I could learn so much. Like you know, being diagnosed at the time I was, I had I decided to repeat a year of university. It hugely impacted my ability to work properly. And you know, I did a painting degree for God's sake. So. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh, here's a chance to get to use my brain and be around positive people that were who I hoped I was still going to get to be, be, even though I'd received this diagnosis that you think means you will, that part of life is closed, it's gone to you. So really it was very, you know, I had a huge self-interest in... And, and really it was my... This is where you'll probably laugh. It was my... Maybe therapy is not the right word, but it was my safer space because at least once a month I went into a room full of all positive people. And I didn't have to talk about myself, you know. We got to talk about, um, you know, bigger picture things and it made me, you know, I got to learn a lot as well. So You mentioned mm. that that sort of engagement was therapy. Mm. Is art therapy for you as well? <gasps> I, I wish. Um, no, I'm, I'm one of those frustrating artists where I need to like let it completely consume me and like make an ent- a huge mess of myself and not in a damaging way, but you know, like paint everywhere, stuff everywhere, collect everything I see and like leave it all in a room that I don't have to, you know, tidy up again. Um, but I think about art all the time and... I still do do little little bits and pieces, but I should definitely do more. But no, I wish I wish I was one of those people that was like, oh, I'm just going to go paint for an hour. But no, paint. That's like that's what would wake me up. That would actually agitate me more because I'd be like, oh my god, like all the stuff I want to do, and like, ah, uh, and I I definitely make sort of like hyper femme, female, you know, hyper feminine art. And and actually, I don't really paint to be honest. I make a, like a lot of stupid stuff. So I would get really it's very excitedly like worked up which would be the opposite of trying to do what is <laughs> that's not therapy, therapy. that no. doesn't sound like therapy no. at all but i mean i love it and in my <laughs> you know in my future what i really hope to be is a loud uh you know a loud agitating female art well, i shouldn't say female artist just an artist that would be my true dream but baby steps when i first met you you were in a relationship mm. <sighs> 
how difficult <laughs> is it to have a relationship? Mm. Um, that is a very good point that I can remember when we met. And yes, I did have a very significant relationship in my life because I so weirdly met someone like three weeks after I was diagnosed and I was with that person for probably four and a half, five years. And I do believe, sadly, if I hadn't been positive or if I hadn't had to go through, we hadn't had to go through a diagnosis together, we probably would, things would have been different. I don't know if I want to say still together because gosh who knows and it's no like no point in kind of dwelling on on that because it really didn't work in the end um I look I'm still yet to find out and I think that's again I'll mention when I say frightened you know that really is my fear I I have had relationships since that relationship and I have disclosed and they have they have ended but not because of my disclosure which is still a brand new learning curve for me I still am really only just beginning to let myself think maybe HIV will not be as final a barrier as I have thought it was to having a truly like loving relationship really only just and I still would quickly think otherwise is that because uh you're getting you're absorbing the treatment as prevention message or is it just no. because no <laughs> no but for some for some it is Probably shouldn't say it like that yeah no 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 because because i i think and this i think is something you have heard me think or talk about and think about is that i do think there's a slightly different dynamic around the female being positive mm. and the man mm. negative that i see as like wow i'm going to need one special specimen of a man to still be what still be that lovely mess the lovely masculine side of a relationship but also be able to conquer the really ridiculous but so in entwined in our social in our you know in our all our social cultures around kind of that conquest of a woman that needs to sort of happen around the the you know absolute physicalness of your two bodies coming together that if they are not someone who feels they can do that without without any restriction whether in their mind that restriction is a condom or they can't quite get it to quieten in their mind that they are actually sleeping with someone who's positive right this second you know i don't i unless they can move past those kind of barriers i i really worry about you know getting to have that type of intimacy that is the you know the loveliest thing in the world i think you know that true intimacy a so. national TV campaign would help. <laughs> Christabel needs a roof. <laughs> don't you dare, Dean. Don't you dare. Look, I, won't, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not going to turn a route down necessarily, but no, please, that's I would die of... No, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I, just would, I would just be so embarrassed, I would never be able to get over it. But a national TV campaign would help well, insofar as course. educating the public as to the current state of play. And, like, um, what about... Um, you know, it's not rocket science. What about an HIV positive character on, you know, like yeah. on what's it, Home and Away or Neighbours, a family? Like we've got so many in in England. There are so many, you know, like trashy soaps that there is so much space for a family, a relationship to see it all play out. You know, that's the kind of stuff that really does change people's minds. You know, if if what about you know, it's not crazy 
and and you know people find HIV you know it's annoying because people find it fascinating you know it's this sen- thing that's so easy easy to sensationalize and and oh my gosh it just means danger you know people that are positive they're just you know they're bad you know mad and bad to know and and kind of thing yet it's not it's not even that's not even something that you can rely on is therefore HIV getting visibility. You've just started a new job as uh-huh. health promotion and communications coordinator for living uh, for positive women. Mm-hmm. Uh, the growth in mm. heterosexual uh, heterosexuals and in women mm. becoming positive in this country is mm. the largest growth sector within mm. the sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your thoughts? <laughs> you're you're going to be busy. Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, if there isn't a better reason to have it in the national education i mean i just want to pull my hair out um look i think it i still think fortunately and unfortunately that here in australia it's still uh straight people becoming positive and women in particular becoming positive is is tied to so many uh what's the word um homophobia oh oh my gosh (laughs) i love you for saying that well yes look that's that, what that it's is, tied to. Yes. That's exactly well, what it's Well, yes, tied actually, to. and that's probably right. It's tied to homophobia from so many outside influences yeah. where it be, you know, I, I feel totally frustrated of that thought of like, oh, you know, women go and out, they go traveling and they're being wild and they sleep with someone. And of course, because it's external, that's what brings it in. You know, it's the other. It's the other. On the other side of the world HIV. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, those countries that they're talking about are going to be extremely homophobic countries. So, yes, you're right. It does absolutely tie back to homophobia um because you know their lack of and even here well yes you know well yes our our bisexual men aren't accessing Um, treatment uh, or or, uh, testing mm. because of homophobia well that that i have to say is something i i would like to learn more about but i sort of feel is you know friends i've gotten to talk to about their internalized homophobia um it's not right to say i mean it's it it's heartbreaking to hear someone you care about speak like that when you know especially somewhere like australia where in theory you know i I know what i'm saying is is not is not the reality but in theory you are going you you shouldn't be barred from work from uh from medical care from you know you shouldn't be it shouldn't be a barrier just the fact that you, you like the same sex to hear that they that people like that can still um not be able to like you know, write them. No, that's not right. You know, like um, come to terms with what the situation they find themselves in. That is a you know, a one hundred million billion percent natural situation, as natural as it is that people are heterosexual. You know, um, yeah. To 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 un- to know that there is such, therefore, such a huge community of men out there that that's that's why they're not identifying anywhere, and why we are lo- you know we are losing. To put my health permission hat on like that we're losing them we're we're not able to find them or reach them in any meaningful way in the way that they need because they're like you know ships in the night we don't really know if they're there or that when they're there or, and when they're not um to think that that really is down to or when i think that straight men are possibly really scared because they are positive but that might mean people think they're gay i think oh my god I mean, that's oh, homophobic. I probably should well. say that actually. You know, but, I, but it is. Per- personally, privately, I know why they think that way, and I know what it's all tied into. But per- you know, I just think how if that's the least that people think of you, you're fine. You know. What's your message to oh. a newly diagnosed positive oh. woman today? <laughs> oh God. Um. Okay. I don't. I just. I don't want to say this through any 
like health or bored or any kind of lens. Just as Christopher. Yeah. Um, go, go softly, go slowly, and to probably try to find... Ex- mm, don't like that word. To try to find calmness in the fact that you wish this didn't happen. So to try to find a way to get back your sense of autonomy and independence, decision-making, even while being HIV positive. Now, you can do that so privately. You don't have to do that with anyone but yourself in your quiet moments. But I do think if you can try to find a little bit of space where you can get can take some steps forward in any way that is right for you while still acknowledging that this has happened then you I do think you are going to be someone that a lot of people in the end will will need and will look up you know will will need you and look up to you and and I do think that's you know our peers are the way to get on if you're positive they're the way to not go under I should say in my opinion um but that I just think it really all takes so much. It takes so much time, and do not beat yourself up for a second if you need more time. It's fine. The fact that you're thinking about any of this, it means you're already on the right track, I would say. And call me. <laughs> we'll put uh, links to yeah. your uh, personal account uh, yeah, look, <laughs> on the podcast. For a positive page. woman, you know, be all right. Christabel, thank you so much for sharing your story it's and your pleasure. insights. We're truly blessed to have you working for us oh dean can i just say thank you too it's it's lovely and it it is still a rare thing to come and you know talk actually about what really happened and what you think and it can be really helpful to to you know think in that way so thank you as well it's been lovely keep heading forward with your radical softness (laughs) okay thanks i will You know, I learned so much from my chat with Christabel, and she's left me thinking about so many things. Her message, that softness diffuses impact, not toughness, keeps playing over and over in my head. It's an extraordinary message for anyone who's been told to toughen up over the years. If you'd like to get in contact with Christabel, there are details on the blog post of this episode at insidehiv.net. And I do hope that you've enjoyed this special episode as much as I have. And if you did, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, which, by the way, is the new name for iTunes. My name is Dean Beck. Stay positive. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Visit InsideHIV.net or download from iTunes. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, the AC, Working Together, and Vive Healthcare Positive Action Community Grants. Follow us on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people.